Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Fill to Flourish podcast. We're thrilled to have you here, and we know that this episode is going to be really meaningful for so many of you. We have a guest today. We love the times when we have guests. It's always just such fun conversation and so many amazing ideas are brought to the table. So we'll introduce our guest to you. Dr. Camden Morganti is a licensed clinical psychologist and former college professor. She writes and speaks about relationships, sexuality, and faith, and is a regular contributor to Christians for Biblical Equality's blog, Mutuality. She's currently writing a book on the myths of purity culture, She provides coaching services for purity, culture recovery, egalitarianism, and faith reconstruction. She lives in Knoxville, Tennessee with her husband, their daughter and son, and their two rescue dogs. And we talked with her last episode. So if you haven't checked that one out yet, it's all about purity culture and sexuality. And this one, we're going to do some deep diving into egalitarianism and complementarianism. And if those words do not sound familiar to you, we will kind of break them down for you in this episode. So, hey, Dr. Camden, great to have you again. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this topic with y'all. We're excited as well. Yeah, this is a passionate one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is, yeah, Luke and I were talking and I was like, yeah, I feel really, there's a lot to say about this. And um, it just, the impacts of these beliefs are far reaching. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to hear your thoughts on them and, and just talk talk through it with you. Yeah. So why don't you just start off just by giving us a just educating our listeners of what is egalitarianism and what is complementarianism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, those are terms that are mainly used in Christian circles. So if you're if you're not in um, that faith system, then they might be new terms for you. But complementarianism is the idea that men and women complement each other, that they kind of complete each other, and that there are differences between the genders, so different that they have different roles. So complementarians say that women and men are equal in value, that both are very valuable, both are um, made made by God, created by God, but that they have different roles and different skills and strengths. Egalitarianism, that um, the root of that being like egal or equal, is the idea that men and women are equal in value and in role. So we are both valuable and we both can have equal roles. Um, There are gender differences. Egalitarians don't deny that, but they don't say that those differences mean that we automatically have to take on different roles or different or that we automatically have different strengths or skills. So you'll hear those terms, like I said, mostly in um, Christian circles or in the church, but more broadly, complementarianism can sometimes present as patriarchy. That's a term that, that we hear in our culture and we're familiar with. Just this idea that men are the leaders and the heads of um, marriage, of, in the family, of the church, of society, that they should be in charge. And so this shows up in all sorts of ways in our culture, whether that's just a a preference for male politicians and male CEOs and male pastors, or um, whether it's the patriarchal beliefs about women need to be protected and provided for and are kind of the weaker sex and need um, men to um, support them and, and, you know, provide and care for them. Yeah. So those are just a couple examples of how we see it in the broader culture. 
and then we see more egalitarianism is is sometimes more like feminism in the broader culture the idea that we're equal and should have equal opportunities and 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 can bring a lot to the table and work together side by side as partners instead of in a more hierarchical where men are the leaders over women great explanation mm-hmm. of that going in so many different directions with this one <laughs> i just remember we kind of grew up more from the teaching of complementarianism in practicality i feel like we practice more egalitarianism we did yeah but i remember early fairly early on in our marriage lauren was listening to his podcast about egalitarian complementarianism oh i don't know this story this is exciting we were in the car What's driving and this couple was egalitarian and they were talking and and lauren's like like fast like really interesting like, this sounds really good like yeah it does sound good but we can't be <laughs> like, like like it was almost like I couldn't allow myself to agree to that set of thinking because the teaching was so like so strong that the Bible teaches complementarianism. And so you have to do that. Egalitarian is like off the deep end, crazy people agree with that. And, and so it was like, I agree with what they're saying. Like, it sounds really, really good. Like you do have a lot to offer. You are like, and it was like something was in me that I can't ascribe to that though. Mm-hmm. And it was, so it's very strong. And it was never taught as an interpretation mm-hmm. of scripture. It was taught as this is scripture. This is right. There's no variation here. And so that's why there was no space. Mm-hmm. It was like that binary prison. There, there was right and wrong. And there was no space for you to even consider if your beliefs weren't actually aligned with your beliefs like you believed practically how we lived out marriage was very much egalitarian but we had to ascribe to this complementarian view which I find just so interesting Mm -hmm. so how about for you how did how did you how did that all develop for you Mm -hmm. um well I was gonna say I find that to be very common that couples um state that they hold complementarian beliefs, but their marriage and their life actually looks more egalitarian, where, um, you know, both are involved in taking care of the kids in the house, and and maybe both are working outside the home, and they both share in decision making and um, making decisions about money and things like that. So, yeah, so on, on the outside, it looks more egalitarian. And when you really dig deeper, it's like, why are you saying that you're complementarian? Because yeah. that's what I've been told is right. That's what I've been told is true. So I have to believe that. Yeah. So just wanted to comment on that. But my my um, experience with this is I grew up with more traditional um, kind of traditional gender role role models and then like hearing about that in the church and things like that. Um, just kind of understood that that was just the norm and that's what was expected. And some of the language I heard with that is that like the husband is the spiritual head of the family or the the, the leader of the family. Um, a lot of like headship that was the term and that women are the helpmates or the helpers. And I didn't really think much of it until probably when I got to college. And then some of it just didn't sit right with me. It's like, well, you know, why can't we be be partners instead of somebody as a leader and somebody as the helper? And I always was very career driven and um, ambitious, even in college. Like I knew I wanted to be some sort of therapist, wasn't sure at the time what, but I, I knew I wanted to go to grad school. And I knew that I always wanted to work and did not plan to be a stay-at-home mom or have a more traditional role in my, in my family, in my home. And I took a psychology of women class 
as a psych major and the professor was, it was at a Christian college. The professor was Christian and she espoused feminism. She said she was a Christian feminist. And so that really opened my eyes to here are these like stereotypes I have of a feminist, but here's what it actually looks like. It looks like this woman who has a doctorate in psychology, who's teaching, who also has children that she picks up from school and goes home to like, I can, I can have both. And that really appealed to me and really opened the door for me to study that more in grad school. So that's when I did a much more deeper dive into these topics, learning a little bit more about what's the word for headship in the Bible? What's the word for helpmate um, in the original languages? And what does that word mean? And how is it used in other places in the Bible? And um, and then also feminist psychology as a psychologist, like learning about um, how to empower women in therapy. Like, so, so seeing it from both like a Christian perspective and a, a secular psychological perspective really, um, yeah, opened my eyes and, and I fully affirmed like my identity as a Christian feminist in grad school. And then learned, yeah, about the differences between egalitarianism and complementarianism and and started following Christians for Biblical Equality, which is the organization that I that you read in my bio that I'm a regular contributor to their blog. So I just started learning from them and then um, eventually started writing for them. And um, so that's been just cool to meet other Christian egalitarians, too. And now this is a huge emphasis and focus in my work in the speaking and writing that I do and in the coaching that I do now, too, of coaching women and couples of how do you break free from the patriarchal beliefs that were instilled in you and how do you set up this egalitarian gender roles in your marriage or in the workplace or at your church because it's just not the norm for a lot of a lot of church circles and I found for myself there just aren't a lot of role models for it don't have a lot of role models of what an egalitarian marriage looks like and so um, I try to provide that in my coaching Mm -hmm. of here's a roadmap and here's some suggestions of how you could implement this in your life I have thoughts (laughs) and um so you mentioned some of the, like the, the original language. Um, I'm looking at some of the, the wording in the original language. Could, could you kind of speak on that a little bit of what is some of that biblical support towards uh, yeah, headship or um, the being a support or just in, in general egalitarianism as a biblical support? Yeah, and just so it's clear, we, we're both parties here are, are promoting, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, egalitarianism, just for the people who are listening. Mm-hmm. And so we'd love to hear from the, the studying that you've done, how the Bible actually does support egalitarianism as a belief. Yeah, I can, um, yeah, I can give, give an overview of that, but I'm um, always quick to recognize my limitations since I'm not sure. a theologian. I can provide some resources of the people that I've learned from. Um, Christians for Biblical Equality is one of them. And then there's a theologian called Marg um, Mauzko. It's M-O-W-C-Z-K-O. And I, I look at her website a lot to get, because she's a theologian and to get that perspective. So, um, but yeah, so what I've learned is that the term for head, like the husband is the head of his wife, um, that that is really used in other places in the Bible to mean like source or it's not used to de- designate like that you are like in charge of or that the other person is subordinate to you. So just learning that and then 
Ezer Konegdo is the term for helpmate and learning that that is used in other places in the Bible to refer to God being our helper and sustainer. We would never say that God is subordinate to us or that he has like a lesser kind of just, you're just my assistant kind of role, which is kind of how it's used for women, but that it's really that you are this equal force and support um, for each other. So those are just a couple of the ones I've learned. And then um, another one that gets misused a lot is Ephesians 5 about um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what verse 21 says, but people forget that part. And they just mm-hmm. go to verse 22 that says, wives submit to your husbands for husband is the head of the wife and husbands love your wives. And then somehow complementarians take that to mean, well, wives are supposed to respect and submit and husbands are just supposed to love and love and respect or submit. Those are our, those are our roles. Um, but really verse 21 says we're all supposed to submit to one another. And that submit does not mean like blind obedience and compliance to some tyrannical leader. It's more about mutual sacrifice and yielding to um, the other one. And I, yeah. So I, I wrote a whole article for CBE about, um, about submission and about, um, decision-making and how in my marriage, we mutually sacrifice in in our decisions for one another, or we defer or yield to each other sometimes in decisions, but I never look at it as just this blind submission that I have to do as the woman. It's more like, this is my, my spouse that I've made this covenant with. Um, and part of that involves, um, loving him through sometimes submitting what I want to what he wants and not done out of a demanding kind of way. It's never a demand from him. So yeah, so those are just some examples of different ways that we look at passages in the Bible and how we interpret them differently. And yeah, so you you can learn more at CBE's website. And that's been really helpful to also read um, the complementarian, their main organization and their resources and understand what their perspective is so that I can fully understand both. Yeah. Thank you for just giving us a little glimpse mm-hmm. into uh, some of the things that you've, you've learned and insights, also resources that we can go look at some more. This is, this topic has been really interesting for us personally, for many different reasons, but like we've run up against this a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking of that. Talk about shame. Yeah. And it just, like, uh, I guess maybe I'll hold that for a minute. <laughs> so I want to ask, what are you, what do you see, what is your experience of some dangers and misuses of when complementarianism is present? Because mm. like you said at the beginning, like this is in the church, but if you take a step back and look culturally, like it is not just in the church. Like this is a lot, we, a lot of our listeners aren't from America, but a lot of them are. And so like within America, this, it, this is very much a patriarchal kind of under the umbrella of patriarchy, which is very much present in America, because you mentioned <laughs> what women have fought for of equal pay, being out and working, um, like working and not having shame of not being a stay-at-home mom and having that traditional. So it, there is a uh, religious pressure to, to conform to a role, but there has also been a cultural pressure to conform to a role. So just saying that as this, this is a broad impact, this is a systemic perspective that we're also bringing into this conversation. So from a patriarchal complementarianism perspective, what have you seen the misuses and the, the harm that it's done? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, well, first I want to recognize that um, complementarianism exists on a spectrum. And so there's there's a, another great resource I can offer, a great article in Pathios that breaks down the spectrum of patriarchy would be like the most extreme. And then you have like hard complementarianism, soft complementarianism, even have like soft egalitarianism, hard egalitarianism, and then secular feminism would be have the extreme of that. So yeah, so we're all kind of on this spectrum. Extreme patriarchy would be the most harmful. Those would be just the beliefs that like women, um, you know, should always be subordinate. A lot of misogyny, a lot of like blatant sexism of women shouldn't even work. They, they should just stay home and have children. You would find this more in very fundamentalist religious groups, or maybe in other cultures, you would see this more, but you tend to not see it to that extreme in our broader culture today. I see a lot of soft complementarianism in the churches that I've been a part of at least. And and again, I live in the South, so it's a pretty conservative area where this is just kind of accepted Southern United States. And so the church that I, um, my family was attending for many years was what I would call soft complementarianism of, well, we have women who are called pastors, but they're not allowed to preach on a Sunday. You know, if they are invited up on stage, it's like with the main pastors and it's more like we're sitting on couches and having a conversation. They're not really allowed to stand and speak (laughs) by themselves. So, yeah, those would be those would be some examples or maybe like, oh, we're accepting of women working outside the home, but they're still the main caregivers to children. They're still more nurturing. They're still the ones who are responsible for primarily for the kids, except the husband is the primarily primary disciplinarian or the spiritual leader. So he's the one that needs to be um, responsible for the spiritual discipleship of the children and his wife. Some would say, some churches would say that he's also responsible for his wife's discipleship and will answer to God for his, his wife and children's spiritual walk. Um, some complementarians would say. So that would be inside the church. I think in broader culture, we would just see practices um, of sexist practices, like women being paid less or um, women being judged more harshly, double standards. I know I I experienced that quite a bit when I was um, a college professor full-time. I felt like I was judged more harshly in my student evaluations than maybe some of my male colleagues, because when a female is inhabiting a role that we don't traditionally see women in, such as a college professor, which is an authoritative leadership role, and they exhibit non-stereotypical characteristics like being assertive and, you know, sometimes telling my students like, no, I'm sorry, that's the grade you earned, or no, it's due today, uh, you can't have an extension or things like that, you know, drawing those boundaries. I felt like I was judged more harshly for that. And there's definitely research that supports that, that supports that women who act in non-gender stereotypical ways are judged more harshly than men are. So that's a that's an example of how sexism permeates in a way like small way like that. Yeah. And then there's just there's all kinds of just little examples that I experience in my day-to-day life, kind of just like microaggressions of sexism, like just sometimes encounter people who just assume that my my work and my income must be supplementary in my family, must be optional in my family. When in reality, I'm the primary breadwinner in my family. Um, my work is not optional and, you know, for, from a financial standpoint, but also from the, the personal fulfillment it gives me uh, and the intellectual stimulation and just my enjoyment of it. So 
And then questions like being asked, are you going to go back to work after you have your baby? Or what are you doing for childcare? when my husband has never asked that, you know, so just things like that would be um, microaggressions of sure. sexism that I see in my daily life. So I don't know if, I mean, the intentionality of this, but I, are you using sexism and complementarism interchangeably? Well, I think, again, it's on a spectrum. So it would fall on the same side of the spectrum, but I think sexism would be the more extreme overt version of it. Um, other terms that I could use come from psychology, um, benevolent sexism and hostile sexism. So hostile sexism, aggression towards women, and that all of us, almost all of us would see, and we would be able to call that out as wrong or sexist. Like, oh, we're not going to hire her for that job because she's a woman. Um, so something like that, but benevolent sexism, it's got that term benevolent because it seems like it's good. This is the idea that women are more fragile and need to be protected and provided for, and, and sometimes you see that in like more traditional gentleman type behaviors, like opening the door for women or like helping them carry heavy things, or, um, you know, we're not going to ask her to do that because she's not as strong or things like that. So it might seem like it's being polite, but it actually can inhibit women from fully developing their leadership potential or get being given opportunities, um, that would help them to, to flourish and thrive because of these preconceived notions of women's limitations and capacities. Yeah, uh, great explanation again. Um, you have something to say, but I was gonna say, we have run into a lot of that mm-hmm. benevolent sexism. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like covert versus overt, like yes. narcissism or, but you know, in a different way, like the benevolent is, is very covert the the average person wouldn't see it wouldn't recognize it for what it is but it's very paternalistic it's very much like wow yes you're you're great and you have value but i know i know more what you need i i'm kind of the gatekeeper of whether it's a business or a church or an organization or a family yes you're here and, and you're good but i'm the one who kind of decides how to use your value it's just very it sounds very paternalistic and icky <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I hear a lot of harm that was done to you of putting you in judging you unfairly making assumptions about you making assumptions mm-hmm. about your husband about your family and so part of that harm like last talk we talked a lot about shame like there's shame Either shame about as a woman, oh, I'm too strong, I'm too, I'm too much, I'm not supposed to be like this. There's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Then for the guys, like, oh, I'm not strong enough, I'm not bold, like big enough. And so there's like, and I think that's something that uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of another way of, that brings harm and why we take the stance of of egalitarianism is. It is sexist, but it's also shamed. It's shaming to the woman and to the man mm-hmm. <laughs> because it doesn't. You know, it doesn't give permission for either one of the people to be who they are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like complementarianism for me in my marriage would be trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Like, mm-hmm. if me and my husband forced ourselves to fit these gender stereotypes, I think we would both be miserable, and our marriage would suffer for it. Um, he is more naturally nurturing and caregiving and patient and gentle. In fact, he would like to be a stay-at-home parent, but that's 
just it hasn't worked out in our family plan at this time. And I would always like to continue working. And yeah, and he's just naturally more like he's good at carrying out the day to day kind of stuff. But I'm better at kind of seeing the broader picture and kind of setting goals for our family and help like kind of a vision for our family and things like that. And we collaborate on that, but he's not naturally going to be this take charge kind of leader. So yeah, I, I think it puts a lot of pressure on us to fit roles that maybe don't mesh with our strengths or our skills or our personalities and then experience shame when we don't, because I would have a lot of shame if I felt like I had to be um, a more traditional and subservient kind of wife. And he would, I think, have a lot of shame if he felt like I have to be the only earner and I have to be this leader and for our family, because he just doesn't naturally fit that. But instead we allow each other to flourish in who we are and what our skills are. And we collaborate and work together in an equal partnership over that. And I feel like it works much better that way. Mm -hmm. We completely agree. And mm -hmm. we're so thankful that in our journey, we, um, we got married way too young, way too inexperienced, all the things you should never do. And yet that was our story. And we're just so thankful that like the foundation of our friendship was the guide to developing the dynamics of the relationship. Because if we were following the ideology that we were kind of brought up in, it would have looked very different, but we had this beautiful foundation of a friendship. And when you have a friend, you want to love them well, you want to lift them up and let them soar and let them become all that they're going to be. Like, you don't want to put a friend under you. That just, mm -hmm. that's, that's counterintuitive. And our friendship is really what guided us to develop uh, egalitarian marriage without even knowing we were developing that type of marriage. And yeah. in the face of situations, I mean, we've had several, but one big one that stands out is an organization that we were starting to work with. Saw us for a very brief period of time, never knew us before that time. And they determined very quickly that I was controlling and that Luke was passive. Those were literally the words they gave us. Mm -hmm. on a platter this is who mm -hmm. you are and this isn't going to work you you guys aren't basically like you're broken okay. <laughs> and um mm -hmm. they completely uh stereotyped took our temperaments and our personalities and just ran with it with this toxic mindset of well because she's assertive and she knows what she wants and she is you know more outspoken than what we think a woman should be, well, she must be controlling them. And because I let her do that, he's just too passive and needs to gain more authority. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of shame there. Totally. And I remember, I remember having conversations like knowing that I had to perform in certain groups and had to be more, had to speak out a little bit more, had to be uh, like seemed headstrong right because you're the man so that it would be accepted like approved of and so but yeah like my wife <laughs> she's, yes she's, what about your wife no <laughs> <laughs> she's like amazing and like if i can't imagine what the world would lose if mm. she wasn't able to she didn't have the freedom and the space to blossom into who she 
is and is becoming. Mm. And yeah. I think that's another thing that that why I, I, we are um, assigned to egalitarianism is more I'm learning just not just Lauren but like women in general like mm-hmm. if we don't tap into the resources of women like this world is missing out on so yes. much mm-hmm. so much yeah. uh, strength so much yes nurture but also power assertiveness knowledge wisdom insight perspective uh, that comes with being a woman and seeing the world through the lens of, of being a woman like she has made me like I I, I struggle with the word complimentary because like she does compliment me mm-hmm. and I compliment her yeah um, mm-hmm. and, and so like I have a hard time even using those words because of what they represent in this conversation right but when you as the base of that word is yeah she does compliment me and I compliment her um, she has made me if 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 she was had to be the, the watered down version. The watered down version. <laughs> yeah. I would miss out, like, yes. and then the world would miss out on, on who I have become because of the expectations that she had mm-hmm. of who mm-hmm. she has called me to be. Like that's another thing I call. I would talk with a lot of marriages that struggle with this because they, and I want to hear your perspective of what what you think keeps people stuck. But one thing I see is men who struggle with this they feel so offended some in some way and i try to help them see like it's not there's actually a calling to become more of a man like like i, I um lose my words this doesn't just diminish manhood right. it's, it's a fuller expression a more holistic expression of manhood that mm-hmm. you can step into where you're not it's not performative you're mm-hmm. not trying to fit into this little peg that you don't belong just because of a patriarchal or complementarian culture right like because you 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 expect something from me you expect me to respect you to love you to um to meet you mm-hmm. like as a human being yep and i hear a lot of women like offering that to men and men are like how dare she and it's like what a great gift that she's giving you saying love me this way know me this way but also, because a lot of times it's, it's a, it feels like a critique. Mm-hmm. That's the that's what I'm calling it. it. Feels like a critique of I'm doing something wrong. Because of that insight, we actually become better. There's a lot of words and verbal processing, maybe. Um, but that's that's where I'm getting to. Is there is that? Yeah, I think I've made my point. Yeah, and then <laughs> the question you had for her of like, what does she see, Dr. Kim, and what do you see? with the the marriages that uh you know why is this so feared why is this so so reactionary why respond like that yeah well I think that's beautiful what you said Luke about the world would be missing out on who Lauren is and the fullness of who she is and that you would be missing out too um and I wanted to acknowledge when, when Lauren when you were talking about that organization that said you were um she was assertive he was too passive I want to acknowledge like that some of these are character traits um, and virtues that we can all grow into. Like, I, I do think that there is, there's merit in learning how somebody who has a more passive nature, merit in learning how to be more assertive and how to 
take charge at times. And there is and there is value in somebody who's naturally more assertive, also learning how to be more more humble or more um, deferring at times. So so I I wanted to acknowledge that. But yeah, I think I think there's a lot of fear of this position that people have fear that it's unbiblical, fear that it's wrong. Um, so that can be addressed through just a proper um, exegesis, you know, of scripture and just really um, looking at learned theologians and what they have to say about it. There's also a fear that that men have, and I think we don't always want to acknowledge that men can be afraid of losing their power and authority here. Um, they're afraid that women will usurp their authority. That's a term that's sometimes used. Um, I one time heard a pastor say like, we don't allow women to be elders here because we knew if we did, they just, they would take over and that men would no longer have a voice. It's like, wow, is that how you really think of women? You don't think that women and men can serve alongside each other and, and mutually respect each other's voices and, and enhance each other's voices. Yeah. Um, I really have a problem with a church body that is completely governed by men because you're missing out on over half of the church's voice being represented. You know, over half of the church is female, um, according to st statistics, and those voices are not being represented in the church decision-making if you don't have women as a part of that elder board or those deacons or or pastoral staff or whatever so i think a lot of the fear comes from men of losing their positions and there might also be some fear from women of what is this going to require of me you know like i've shared you know several times that i enjoy working and want to continue working but what it requires of me is that my salary is required for our family, that I don't just rely solely on my husband. And, and we share that burden together. That is a burden of providing for our family, that when I make decisions, I have to think about how is this affecting my family's finances, because that's a mutual responsibility we share. And I guess the same could be said of men. Like if, if they are equal um, parents and equals in the parenting role, then more might be required of them in the home more chores may be required of them that are not always pleasant to do or more childcare tasks that are not always fun to do. Yeah, so it does require more of us, I think, sometimes, and that can be scary or feel threatening. Sure. Especially if you're, it's not a role that you're familiar with or you feel skilled at or capable and competent in, mm -hmm. that can be really scary. And that's where the lack of role models can be a challenge sometimes. And finding churches that allow this and, and, and even um, celebrate it can be really challenging. And I sh was sharing about the church that we were members at with Soft Complementarian. And, and we, we left, we decided to leave that church last year because I could no longer just reconcile the cognitive dissonance of me being such a such an advocate for egalitarianism. The fact that I've really based this career on it, you know, that I write and speak about it. But yet I'm attending this church that doesn't allow women pastors or women elders. I just can't reconcile that anymore. And yeah. so we left and are now um, have now been visiting churches that are more egalitarian, that allow women preachers and um, women in leadership and see more of this mutual co-leadership that we follow in our marriage. Beautiful. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. So we'll wrap up with um, what this does for children when they see parents Mm -hmm. in co-leadership together. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's psychological research that says children benefit from having a really involved father who is also involved in some of the daily grunt work of baths and diapers and feedings and homework and all that stuff. There's also research that shows that children can benefit from seeing their mother work outside 
and, and earn money and contribute to the family in that way. Um, doesn't mean there's not benefits to having a stay-at-home parent. Of course, that has benefits too, but but it's good to, to look at just the, the broader research on that. Um, and I think it just gives children the, the gift of having two involved and loving parents that my daughter can actually she prefers right now my husband put her to bed than me so um but she can have two parents that can do that i have some friends who are the in these more traditional gender roles in their marriage and who are the primary caregivers of their kids and nobody else can put that child to bed but them nobody else can feed that child but them nobody else can like comfort the child when they're hurt and it's it can be a burden on the mom to be the only one that can do that and it really robs the dad of the opportunity to do that too so yeah, so I think the children just get such a gift for that. And even with my um, my youngest, is almost three months old. My husband and I both took parental leave. We did that for both of our children. And in fact, he takes has taken a little bit more than I have for both children. And I think that is such a gift for our children uh, and for my husband. He's developed competence as a parent and confidence in himself. He's just as capable as I am caring for their needs. And so there's not this this idea of like, well, I know better because I'm the mom and I've spent more time with them. We both have spent that time with them and they, they can rely on both of us. So I think it's really a gift to kids to get to see this and to model this for them so that they have those role models for when they get married, they're less susceptible to being in maybe abusive or coercive relationships, um, especially for our, for our girls and for our boys to not model that, to not seek that out in a relationship either so I think there's a lot of benefits so beautiful yeah and like from like an attachment perspective mm-hmm. there's like there's more opportunity for more safety mm-hmm. like if mom's out and dad doesn't know how to comfort or create safety then that can be traumatizing for a three-month-old or a toddler but like for both of you to feel competent and capable but also the kids feel comfortable mm-hmm. Like I can see just the benefits of just growing a, a healthy, secure attachment for the baby, mm-hmm. the child um, being so much more possible. And also, like you were saying, even out, because yes, they want kids attached to their caregivers, but to be able to find safety also within both genders, both genders, but even outside of yeah. the parents of Uncle John or the friend, they're also safe. It's not just this one person. When they're safe. When they're safe, exactly. <laughs> I'm assuming they're safe to you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. more safe and secure attachment figures the child has, the better. So, um, yeah. and the more we're, we're learning how important emotional intelligence is, you know, for workplace success, for relationship success. Yeah. So the more emotionally intelligent caregivers the child has too, the, the more they benefit. And, and I think that's been um, a skill that, that men have kind of been robbed of is because they're, they've been told they're not emotional. You know, we yeah. talked about that in our last interview too. And so they've not learned to identify emotions or to be in touch with their emotions or how to express their emotions. But there's also research that if men play this early caregiving role with children, with um, infants, and are just as involved in caretaking the infant, that there's neurological changes in the brain that take place that make them more nurturing and more responsive and attuned. So I think I've seen that benefit in my husband that he's become more emotionally fluent, I guess, um, with his own emotions and more able to help our daughter regulate her emotions as a three-year-old with frequent tantrums right now um he's able to do that more because he participates in this work and his hands-on and doesn't just defer to me because I'm the woman 
and the psychologist. So, so <laughs> right. too. it does come a little more naturally to me for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think that's so another point of, again, what we talked about last time of the assumption that men aren't emotionally intelligent, aren't emotional people, or, mm-hmm. but it actually is a skill. It, it's something you can learn. And because of those cultural messages of not having the uh, people showing us the uh, examples, modeling, and also the messages that you don't have emotions, that message of, no, I just, I don't have it. I don't, it's not in me. It's not who I am and I can't learn it. But mm-hmm. the emotions, emotional intelligence is something you just, is a skill you can learn. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned it. I was not modeled it or <laughs> taught it and still in progress. And I've seen other men grow. Mm-hmm. And so it's for those li- men listening. Like, 30% feel- of our listeners are men. We are really proud of that number. Yeah. <laughs> cool. yeah. If you feel incompetent, it's, normal but you can learn yeah 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 wow well thank you so much we are going to wrap up um let you get back to your other jobs for the day we we love talking to you definitely could go deeper but this is a great primer to have Uh our audience we're so thankful and we will connect your resources so people can dig deeper through your um through your content so Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and all your wisdom and input and insights. Thank you. You're welcome. And I really enjoyed talking about this topic. I'm so passionate about it, as you can tell. And I love yeah. talking to like-minded couples because just having just having that camaraderie of um, sharing these ideas and these passions is, is awesome because I don't get, get it that much in my daily life. So. Sure. Yeah. yeah, such a gift. It was a pleasure for us too. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for the next episode of Build the Flourish. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.